It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 248 for June 26th, 2011, recorded in the middle of monsoon season on June 24th. Okay, so really it isn't raining today, but it certainly has been doing a lot of that in the middle of the country. This first section is called Autofocus is Just So Last Century. By the end of this year, a startup company called Lytro expects to begin shipping cameras that do more than just focus for you. You'll get to choose the focus later. Autofocus is a nearly universal feature today, but sometimes the autofocus, even with the camera operator's assistance, selects the wrong point of focus. Instead of focusing on the person in the foreground, the camera picks the trees in the background. Instead of focusing on the lion behind the fence, the camera focuses on the fence. Lytro's CEO, Ren Ning, says the technology his company has developed lets users bring photos home, examine them on the computer screen, and then select the point of focus. How? The only way I could think of to achieve that effect would be for the camera to make several sequential exposures, changing the point of focus with each. Because I've been using cameras for a lot of years, I'm reasonably consistent when it comes to selecting the right point of focus and making sure that the camera focuses there, even with point-and-shoot cameras. But even for me, the thought of being able to adjust the focus after the fact is exciting. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, there are a couple of images provided by Lytro. They show a child in the foreground and presumably the child's mother in the background. There are two ways you could focus this image. You could focus on the child and allow the mother to be out of focus, or you could focus on the mother in the background and allow the child to be out of focus. Neither is right or wrong, but one might be preferable for a given instance. In the future, you may not need to choose one or the other when you press the shutter release. You can leave that decision until later. Ning, who is 31, explained the process in his Stanford University PhD thesis in 2006, and despite my thought that this effect would be accomplished through the use of multiple sequential exposures, Ning says that he uses a special sensor inside the camera. He calls it a microlens array. The sensor captures light from many directions and converts the information into data. In effect, it's not multiple sequential exposures, but multiple simultaneous exposures with what is the equivalent of many lenses. Okay, I'm having trouble even beginning to imagine how that works. This may explain, in part, why I don't have a Ph.D. degree from Stanford. So in the future, a photographer may be able to concentrate entirely on composition while forgetting entirely about focus. Lytra says the new cameras will be about the same size as today's digital cameras and will have a resolution that's equivalent to current technology. If you want to read more, you'll want to visit Lytro's website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. This is one of those things that really could change everything. 
LulzSec is back in the news again, but maybe in a way that LulzSec won't appreciate. British police have charged a 19-year-old suspect in connection with the Lulz security cyber attacks. Lulz is the group that attacked websites belonging to Sony, the CIA, the U.S. Senate, NPR, the British equivalent of the U.S. FBI, and many others. Ryan Cleary faces five charges under Britain's Computer Misuse Act, but police have not been forthcoming with information about his role in the attacks. Lulzsec indicated that Cleary is a minor cog in their wheel, but Police Commissioner Paul Stevenson said the arrest is very significant. According to Lulz, the group used Cleary's servers, but that was his only involvement with the group. Lulz Security is an informal network of computer users apparently spread around the globe. The group has a quarter of a million followers on Twitter, and has proved that it can launch coordinated attacks against people and organizations that attract Lulz's ire. I think I mentioned before that I do not love iTunes. iTunes is a fine application if you own a Mac. If you own a Linux computer, iTunes is not available, and Linux users should collectively thank Apple for not pursuing the Linux market. Unfortunately, though, Apple has decided to make iTunes available for Windows machines. That doesn't mean you have to use it, though. After all, Apple's applications for Windows are usually less than optimal. Small pieces of excrement in the punch bowl might aptly describe, as politely as possible, my opinion of iTunes for Windows. I have two iPods, a Touch and a Nano 3G. If I plug in the Nano, iTunes will try to synchronize it, crash, and delete all the music from the portable device. If I plug in the Touch, iTunes will try to synchronize it, crash, and at least leave the music and the apps alone. Neither of these is exactly the desired outcome. I can easily reload the music to the Nano from Winamp, but Apple thought different enough when it came to the Touch that it created a device Winamp can't manage. Gee, thanks, Apple. So enter Songbird. After installing Songbird, I opened the application. Twice during the startup, Windows 7 told me that the application had stopped responding and suggested that I close it. In both cases, though, I simply dismissed the dialog box and found that Songbird had not stopped responding. So something's wrong there. The same thing happened when I imported my iTunes music library. Windows told me the application stopped responding. I dismissed the dialogue, and the process continued to a successful completion. It seems that no standalone application can deal with either the iPod Touch, or if you have one, an iPhone. Even worse, Songbird requires that iTunes be installed if you want to play any files in Apple's AAC format. Those are the M4A files. So what's the point of that? I want to get Apple software off my machine, not have it there and not use it. For now, though, Songbird remains on the computer while I evaluate it. It looks fairly promising. I'll tell you more later. iTunes is back, but it's unused and unloved. Other applications do allow synchronizing iPod devices, except, of course, for the Touch and the iPhone, but some of them don't play music. So that pretty much leaves Winamp. Winamp works well with nano devices, but, of course, not the iPhone or the Touch. Songbird's interface is, I think, better than Winamp's, so stay tuned and I'll let you know how all this plays out. And if you have a Linux machine, well, good news. 
I can point you to an article. You'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. And the article has some good recommendations for you. In short circuits, occasionally I've mentioned websites that I've found and think you might enjoy. It's been a while since I have done that, so here goes. 78 Photography Rules for Complete Idiots. Latvian photographer Ivar Skavelius begins the site with, Don't take it serious. But the site does include several good suggestions, along with a few I consider wrong. See if you can figure out which is which, and along the way, you'll get some chuckles. The Cold War. This is an interesting website. It's kind of a Cliff's Note approach to the Cold War, with history teacher John D. Clare, who studied modern history at Oxford University, graduated in 1974, earned a postgraduate certificate in specific learning difficulties, then taught at Greenfield School in County Durham, and retired in 2010. Random Movie Facts. Here's an example. In the movies, the ventilation system of any building is the perfect hiding place. No one will ever think of looking for you in there, and you can travel to any other part of the building undetected. Do you need to type something in Russian? For example, Yani Ruski Shpion. You do need to know how to spell the words. If you don't, just use Google's language tools. But you can use the site I'm pointing you to and choose the letters from an on-screen keyboard. Several other languages are available, too. Incidentally, I noted previously when I said Yani Ruski Shpion that I'm not a Russian spy. That is something the Nixon administration and J. Edgar Hoover's FBI really weren't so sure of. For humor, almost anything from collegehumor.com is useful. I provide a link to a sketch called Girls Watch Porn Too. No actual porn is involved, but avoid that site entirely if you're easily offended. How about clever typography? You'll find single word graphic treatments and more involved statements. For example, don't hold a grudge, try my hand instead. It's delightful to see what graphic designers can do with simple, short messages. So there are some sites you can use to spend a few minutes if you have a few minutes to spare. <laughs> this week, Netherlands became the first European country to legislate network neutrality by forbidding mobile telephone companies from blocking, delaying, or charging customers extra for using Internet-based communications applications. Because the Dutch law is a first in Europe, it probably will be used as the framework for laws in other countries, as well as for rules that might apply throughout the European Union. Consumers who buy hardware and sign up for services from telephone companies have shown clearly that they don't appreciate extra charges or delays for services they thought were included. Industry officials naturally predicted gloom and doom. The European Telecommunications Network Operators Association warned that the law could reduce or eliminate operators' efforts to build high-speed networks. Apparently, that would work just exactly the same way that placing a tax on an automobile would cause automobile manufacturers to stop manufacturing automobiles. The new law means that companies can offer a variety of plans with different speeds and prices, but that they cannot link any of those plans to specific services that might be used over the Internet. And the law actually has some teeth in it. Violations could subject phone companies to fines equal to 10% of their annual 
sales. Thanks for listening to Tech Fighter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.